We have not been in 1 Corinthians since December the 12th, and so we normally go uh, verse by verse through uh, the New Testament, Old Testament. We'll start in 1 Samuel, Lord willing, in two weeks in Sunday school. Uh, So next Sunday is our business meeting, and all those who are members should be here. All those who are planning to join this year, you're welcome to come. Uh, There is an annual report in the back. I think it was also emailed to you. But if you want a hard copy of the annual report, um, you're welcome to take, take it off the back table. And so I appreciate uh, Pastor Ty's willingness to offer uh, a second uh, class uh, or a second Wednesday night. So what he has been doing is doing a Bible study, Jesus in the Old Testament. And he'll do that same study uh, and, and Wednesday morning starting uh, the first Wednesday of February. And I've already heard some good comments that of thankfulness uh, that we're offering that. And so it should be about an hour. And uh, that's normally what we're here Wednesday night, 7 to 8. So that'll be 11 a.m. to noon. Um, and we'll continue that as, as needed. 1 Corinthians 15. Have you ever done something without thinking? If you have, and your friend or relative videoed that, uh, it may have gone viral on YouTube, on the internet, uh, around social media, because uh, it's obvious that you weren't thinking before you tried to do a number of things, and there are a compilation of videos on the internet that are like this, and you wonder, at the very beginning of the video, you're thinking, What was that person thinking? No, don't do it. Oh, they're going to do it. It's going to hurt. It's going to leave a scar. I hope they survive. (laughs) There are thoughts. And the consequences of those are at best humorous or dangerous or sometimes destructive or even deadly. I'm going to encourage you. Have you ever thought about, though, your funeral? You say, that's kind of morbid. Yeah, it is. But you know when you think about your funeral? It's someone else's funeral. Everyone at a funeral thinks about their own funeral, or you should think about your funeral. And this passage of Scripture is going to help us to think. All Scripture helps us to think, but he mentions you foolish. uh, he, He uses the word foolish person. There in verse 36, at the beginning of our text today, in 1 Corinthians 15, 36, he says, you foolish person, which is someone who is acting without thinking. And so that's the, con- the, the, uh, the context of this passage is the resurrection, the resurrection of our bodies. The resurrection of our bodies are based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and he is alive, therefore our hope is secure and, and when we put our bodies in the ground, what happens to them? And we have to, we have to think. And I want us to think about how to use our bodies in this life to magnify Jesus. Look with me at verse 58 as this passage is leading us toward this verse. And if you haven't memorized 1 Corinthians 15, 58, I'm going to encourage you in the next couple of weeks to do so. Therefore, my beloved brothers, brothers in Christ, be steadfast, immovable, 
always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Have you considered how to use your body in this life to magnify Jesus? Or are you consumed with eating, drinking, pampering, vacationing, massaging, comforting, indulging, binging, this body with little thought for using it to serve Christ. If you look around here, there are people that are in their latter stages of life. You also notice people in their earlier stages of life. If you ask those in the latter stages of life, is life long and surely chuckles. <laughs> it's not. Life is a vapor. It appears for a little time and then vanishes away. These bodies, these physical bodies, as the moment they, we are born, start to die. And the older we get, the more we realize these bodies are starting to die. Hair starts to come off, start sagging here. You start sagging everywhere. Because <laughs> these bodies aren't made to last forever. And John said, Amen. We need to think about these bodies and how to use these bodies to glorify our Savior Jesus Christ. These bodies are a gift to us to be used. How do we know they're a gift to us to be used? Well, let's hold our hand here and go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And in 1 Corinthians 6, we have already seen this, but we have to be reminded of this constantly and especially near the end of life and thinking about a resurrected body and thinking about a funeral He says in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 18, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. That's really foolish to sin against yourself, to hurt yourself. Verse 19, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. For you were bought with a price, so glorify God with your body. In this passage, it's about staying away from sexual temptation and sin. And don't you know that your body's not yours? You're bought with a price. And if we're bought with a price, we're supposed to glorify God with our bodies. So let's go back to 1 Corinthians 15. And think, because we're told here in verse 35, but someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? And Paul responds to that question that he got. He responds to many other questions that he gets, but he responds to this question differently. He says, you foolish person. And that is the idea of the uh, same word that Jesus used in talking about the rich young fool. The rich young fool had a lot of wealth, and he would not give his wealth. He thought, I'm trying to keep the commandments so that I can keep my wealth and keep my commandments so I can get to have eternal life. And he wasn't sure that he had eternal life. And Jesus said, 
Get rid of all of your stuff. And he was a fool because he didn't think that the kingdom of heaven was more valuable than all of my stuff. And he kept all of his stuff and turned his back on the kingdom. And we have these bodies as a gift from God. These bodies have been bought with a price. If we are believers, we recognize that. Everybody's body has been bought with a price, whether you recognize it or not. But you can resist Jesus and try to find your own way to heaven and wake up in hell for all eternity. But Jesus paid the price for your sin. He bought, when he bought us out of slavery to sin, he bought these bodies, these physical bodies, these bodies that we hopefully dressed and brushed our teeth, combed our hair, and we came and we smell better than when we, than we rolled out of bed this morning. These bodies are a gift to us from God. These bodies were bought with the precious blood of Christ, and we have to figure out how to use these bodies. And God's truth here in this passage is going to help us to know how to look at these bodies and thinking about how to use these bodies to glorify Christ even when it comes to putting these bodies in the ground. Okay, so that's, that's the context of what we're, where we're headed We must think about using our bodies to glorify Christ. How are these bodies, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? And so then Paul goes into a a science lesson. He said, I don't like science. That's all right. We live in a scientific world where God puts us in a position to observe his design. We can see his design in creation. We can definitely see his design in these bodies. And what happens to these bodies when we put them in the ground, we can see God's design. And if we see God's design, we marvel at him and hope and then want to use our bodies, hopefully, for being steadfast and immovable and abounding in the work of the Lord while we have these bodies here, okay? Our bodies magnify God's design. Paul's going to teach us. In verse 36, he says to the the question, how are the dead raised and with what kind of body do they come? He says, you guys should know this. You should think, all right? You foolish person. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. If you watch and you can go on YouTube or you can go on uh, the internet and find out how a seed or an acorn or some some sort of uh, seed goes into the ground and when that, and it, it looks like it's just shriveled up, it looks like this, this isn't going to, nothing's going to happen from here. But when that seed in the ground cracks and a root goes down and a shoot comes up, that seed is very much alive. And our bodies, as we plan and think about our funerals, we're planning to put these bodies physical bodies, flesh and blood, in the ground with Jesus' resurrection in mind in 1 Corinthians 15 and our resurrection in mind, okay? So we magnify these bodies as they get older. It doesn't mean that, I mean, they're, they're not, they're, they're, they get less and less glorious. We talked about the glory of these bodies fading, the hair, the sagging, the lack of hearing, the lack of vision, the lack of whatever, the lack of energy, the lack of muscles. 
okay? The lack of stamina. All of this is showing that these bodies aren't made to last, but we can use these bodies for the glory of our Savior. So Paul goes on to say, don't you know that what you sow does not come to life unless it dies? So a seed goes in the ground and it dies and cracks and starts new life again. Verse 37. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps, of wheat or some other grain. If we were to find an apple seed out here underneath these two apple trees next to the garage and put that apple seed in the ground and it would grow, it would become a tree eventually the size of that. Does that one seed produce one other seed? No, it produces hundreds and hundreds of apples, and each inside of each apple are multiple seeds from one seed. This is God's design. And this has been happening since the beginning of time, since God spoke and apple trees became a thing. Our bodies are like a seed, it says here. And we can learn from God's design that God's design magnifies a process from death to life. A seed is not the end. Maybe you eat an apple seed. You don't usually eat the apple seed. Some people do. But I don't normally eat the core of the apple. I throw it away. But if you're into the habit of eating apple seeds, you're not going to grow an apple tree inside of you. It's going to come out and it's probably not going to grow a tree. Okay? But if you put a seed in the ground where it's supposed to be, when that seed dies, then that seed can reproduce much. And that's what happens with these bodies. It says, and what you sow is not the body that is to be. It's similar, but it is much more glorious. Verse 38, but God gives it a body that as he has chosen... So God is in charge of the resurrection and the resurrection bodies, and to each kind of seed, its own bodies. Now, none of us look like, none of us were um, mistaken for an apple today. Like, you remind me of an apple. I haven't heard that before. Okay, We, we look different than apples. Okay, no one here was, you woke up, you uh, and your family, and you got the, the, the uh, family dog, and no one mistaked you in their right mind, right? If they have their glasses and they can see. They didn't mistake you for the dog. Oh, I thought you were Fido. No, we're different than dogs. Now, you may mistake someone, other person for someone else. That happens. But there are different kinds of bodies, Different kinds of flesh. Uh, There's a similar process. You fools is a lacking of reflection that needs thinking. Verse 38 we just read, God gives it a body as he has chosen to each kind of seed its own body. As he has chosen is the same language of chapter 12 verse 18 that God puts the body of the church together as he pleases, as he chooses. Same word. 
So God designs the church as his body, the body of Christ. God designs these physical bodies for, to magnify Christ. God's in charge. God's design is magnified from this process. A bare kernel dies. We put it in the ground. It dies, it comes to life, and it produces a hundredfold or more as God has chosen. Verse 38, 39. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans and another for animals and another for birds and another for fish. Now, if we put this body in the ground, what's it going to turn into? Dust. If we put a, uh, look at our verse 39, if we put an animal in the ground, what's it going to turn to? Dust, okay? It's going to turn into the same thing. It's gonna, we're going to put a bird in the ground, what's it going to turn into? Dust. And if we put a fish in the ground, what's it going to turn into? You guessed it, dust. So we're made of the same, and all of those another's is another of the same, we're made of dust. And when we put dust in the ground, just a matter of time, we're going to be back to dust. Right, but verse 40, there are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is another. And here's where Greek helps us, because that Greek for another is not another of the same. It's where we get our word uh, heteros, or where we get um, heterosexual, something of a different kind. So it's not similar. What is similar is our bodies and everything else that's alive, that we put it in the ground and it turns back into the same thing, turns back into dust. When we have an earthly body and there's a glory of the earthly body, that's one kind, a glory of the heavenly is the other kind, the glory of this earthly body is fading. But you know what happens with the glory of the heavenly? We'll find out it doesn't fade. And it's not just similar, it's different. And that's the end of verse 40, is that word another there is, there's a different glory. And there is an expectation of not just death to life, and what comes to life is different. And so now we see the pro, not just the process, but the differences of glory. It's a similar process, but it's a difference of glory. Since God is sovereign over life and after death, we should meditate on God's design so that we praise, trust, and hope in Him. Verses 39 to 41. We stopped at verse 40. Let's read verse 41. There is glory. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars. And those are all, I believe, the same similar glory. And this star differs from star in glory. You can go on YouTube and find, uh, just, just look up YouTube and look for the different sizes of the stars that we know of. There are stars in our galaxy that if they were where our sun is, the earth would be inside that star. That's how big stars get. Enormous. It will blow your mind. And we see the glory of God in creation in God's design. And as we see God's glory, we trust Him. We praise Him. We want to live for Him. And now we look at these bodies differently. 
Because now we're thinking. Because if we live life without thinking, we're not going to see God's design. If we see it, we don't care. We're just living for ourselves and wasting our lives. And this passage is not leading us to waste our lives. It is to be immovable, uh, unsteadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Why? Because we are seeing God's amazing work in creation, and we're a small part of that creation, and we want to use these bodies to magnify our Creator and our Savior who has bought these bodies with His blood. And there's differences of glory. The sun is so much more glorious than the moon, and our sun isn't nearly as big as some of the other stars that we have observed. And there's different glories. But it all magnifies God's design. The word glory is where we get the idea of doxology. Doxa is the Greek word for glory. And in the New Testament, it can mean uh, slightly nuanced, two different meanings. One is royal splendor, and the other is brightness. So if you were to look at verse 41 with that in mind, is the sun as bright as the moon? Okay, so it's talking clearly about brightness when it talks about the sun and the moon and the stars, because they're all different brightnesses. All right, But for us, in comparing our body, our earthly body, to the heavenly body, it's probably not talking about brightness. Like when we have our new bodies, we're all going to glow. Hmm, probably not. It's probably talking that the other nuance of the word glory is royal splendor. Now think with me about this. So this is a thinking message, right? Think with me with this thought. How many people are on earth that when you see their bodies, you think royal splendor? I looked up to see how many billionaires there are. There's something like 500 and some billionaires in our country and a few thousand billionaires in the world. You think billionaires dress in a way, probably, most of them do, in a way that would mirror, compared to common, all of us commoners, right? Compared to us, they would dress in a way that is royally splendor. Okay, you can imagine, and we in our culture are fascinated still with the British and the British monarchy, and I don't know why, I'm not. But if you are, that's fine. And if you're fascinated with royalty, when they have a royal procession or a royal wedding, The person walking down the aisle at the royal wedding does not wear the average wedding dress. Oh, no, that's not what royalty wears. They don't wear ordinary crowns or ordinary ball caps at these things. Oh, no, they wear diamonds and gold and whatever else that's very, very expensive to show their wealth, to show royal splendor. Now, why does God use the idea of glory when it comes to our bodies, earthly bodies, have some glory, but the heavenly bodies have a different glory? Let's think about this. How many people on earth, how many people in this room right now would you say, this person always dresses with royal splendor, glorious? Unless you're trying to really impress people and go buy 
hundreds of, spend a hundred and a thousand dollars on one shirt, one pair of pants, a couple thousand dollars on one pair of shoes, one handbag, a couple tens of thousands on a coat, that's probably not where most of us spend our money, right? Why? Because we don't have that kind of money. <laughs> we are ordinary people. And I go to Marshalls, and I go to Goodwill. And you don't, wealthy people, royally splendorous people, don't shop at those places. <laughs> they go to the name brand places at the high-end malls, or they go online because they can't even find what they want in stores. Like, we don't think that way. And when it comes to royal splendor, you know what? When I walk through the mall, I don't turn any heads with what I wear. No one asks me where I got my shoes because they aren't that splendorous, and I don't care. <laughs> they keep my feet dry, and they're comfortable, and that's fine. That's what shoes are for, right? So when it comes to these bodies, they're just a, an elite group of people, less than probably 1% of people of the world, would be in this category of having a royally splendorous, glorious, earthly body. But now let's think about what he says here in verse 40. There are heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies, but the glory, the splendor of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is something different. So what is he teaching us there? How many people on earth, their bodies are described as glorious with royal splendor? The common people or just the elite? And we would have to say, it's just the elite. But because of a sure resurrection of these bodies, these earthly bodies, to a glorious resurrected body, what is he telling us? How many Christian bodies in heaven will be described as glorious with royal splendor. Just a few or all? And the answer, all. See, unless you have extreme wealth on this earth, there's no chance that your earthly body is going to have royal splendor. But when it comes to the death and resurrection of these bodies... These bodies get weak, we put them in the ground, and they come out a glorious body that's different than this earthly glory. And these bodies, for the average, ordinary, poor, beggarly Christian, is going to come out a royally splendorous body that does not fade away and is not dependent on you keep buying wealthy stuff to keep clothing it whatever is the latest style. No. See, there's differences of splendor, and it's all God's design. And that increases our hope that we don't have to live for this life. We don't have to make sure that we turn heads when we walk in a crowd, that we're living for the next. And God is going to change these bodies into glorious bodies by His glory and why not to magnify us? It's all about glorifying our Savior. We don't get glory in heaven for having glorious bodies. Jesus gets glory in heaven for us having glorious bodies. 
That's the difference with earthly and heavenly. And our, our bodies can magnify God's design. Continuing, verse 42. So is it with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. What is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, and it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, and it's raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, then there is also a spiritual body. Is there anyone that you have talked to that denies verse 44? There is no spiritual body. We just live for this life. We're put in the ground, and that's it. Some sort of annihilationism where we just, this body's annihilated, we go back to dust, that's it. Game over, nothing else. Those people don't think. And this passage will help them think. Is that how seeds go? They get put in the ground and that's it? No. When that seed goes in the ground and it dies, it brings more life. And it brings more life and apple trees fall off and there are more seeds that go in the ground and more life. This is God's design. It magnifies his glory. And these bodies get weaker. What's it say? How does it describe us? Now, this is really going to encourage us, right? We're described as here as uh, perishable and dishonorable and lacking power. We're weak. And all of us, as we get older, that's what we feel. Our, these earthly bodies feel perishable. Like some days you feel like death. You feel like dying. You feel like, if this is all there is, I'm just done. Can I just throw in the towel? God, just take me. And you, you're done. You, you just feel like done living. And you realize as the older you get, you don't wake up with strength. You wake up with weakness. We are desperate to help these bodies to cover the dishonorableness of them. Hollywood does not parade, usually parade people, and they're always walking the red carpet and showing parts of their body that they shouldn't when they're 90 years old. No one wants to see that. It's gross. It's dishonorable. It's like, cover that up. Young people, you should be covered up too, all right? It's not, it's not an age thing. But we aren't getting more attractive the older these bodies get. We're getting less. These bodies are earthly. Their glory fades. Why does it fade? Because this life is not about these bodies. It's about the next life's bodies. These bodies can be used to magnify Jesus, but in and of themselves, without Jesus, these bodies are going toward this progression of perishable, dishonorable, and weak. But notice the word sown. Verse 42 says, So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. What's the difference between perishable and imperishable? One can perish or smell, rot, be disgusting. Something that is imperishable 
cannot. If you put a piece of paper out in the rain, is that perishable or imperishable? Eh, it's probably going to perish. If you put a piece of plastic out in the rain, perishable, eh, that is, and there's probably some science and how long that will take to perish, but for us, plastic is much more imperishable than perishable. These bodies, we put them in the ground, and they're perishable. But when they're raised, imperishable. You know the only person that I know of right now that has an imperishable body? His name is Jesus. No one else ever alive has been raised yet. Their body is still in the ground. Jesus is the only one. He is the first fruits of those who are sleeping. And because we are in Christ and we are expecting to be raised like him, Jesus, the first fruits, and then after the first fruits, a huge harvest. Jesus is the only one with his glorified body, and he showed his glorified body to his disciples, and 500 people saw him. And this is the earlier part of 1 Corinthians 15. Jesus has this imperishable body, and everybody, Old Testament, New Testament, die in the ground. And we're in the ground, and our body has perished. We're back to dust, awaiting the resurrection. The trumpet's going to sound. The dead in Christ are going to rise first. And then we who are alive are going to meet them in the air so that we're ever going to be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. 1 Thessalonians 4 says, We sow a weak, dishonorable body with the anticipation that it is going to be imperishable, powerful, and glorious. Application for us here. We sow the body by burial. Burial is the normal pattern of Old Testament saints. Abraham... Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, etc. And New Testament. It has been the pattern of church history, as far as we can tell. Those in the Catholic religion have told people up until 1963 that uh, burial was the only way, only common way. And even now, they say, if you want to cremate, that you shouldn't scatter your ashes, you should put them in the ground because this is how Christians view the body, because we're anticipating a resurrection. And the word sown there is planting. All right? So we bury because of our steadfast hope that since Christ is alive, my loved one will one day be raised too. But how many of us have seen, think of Star Wars or other movies that show when the body dies, Darth Vader dies, they torch him and they let him go, put him on a raft somewhere. That's a normal pagan way of not burying, getting rid of the body. That's not how we need to think. The normal pattern, is it wrong to torch your body and send it on a raft somewhere to never, never land? Eh... No, I wouldn't say sinful or wrong. I would say you, you lose an opportunity to glorify God with your body. 
We don't want to miss an opportunity to glorify God with our bodies. Okay, so I'll have more in the second point here. Um, and I forgot to show you that. All right. How many Christian bodies will be glorious in heaven? The elite or all? Of course, it's all. Our bodies magnify God's power. In verses 42 to 44, we have seen that the process is powerful. God is behind this process. Why? Because He has designed it. God has designed uh, life to come from death. There to be life after death. God has designed it. And if God's designed it, then His power is in it. And who can make something that's perishable become imperishable? We can't do that today. Only God does. And we trust in God while we sow the perishable body. We're expecting an imperishable result. We sow a dishonorable body, one that is, um, that is weak and has succumbed to old age or disease and death. And is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, but when that body comes out of the grave one day, it is going to be raised in power. See, it's sown a natural body, but the natural body has a different glory than the heavenly body, and it's raised a spiritual body. And if there's a natural body, then there is a spiritual body. Nature teaches us that. We can use this with those who deny an afterlife to use nature and say, will you think about the process of death to life? Seeds teach us this. Seeds teach us that when you die in the ground, new life comes from death. And when we as believers are here and we go to a cemetery and we stand around a grave, these kind of passages come to mind. This body is sown in weakness and perishing, perishable, and in dishonor. But we sow, and we live, and we bury by faith. Faith causes us to stand around a hole in the ground, and we comfort one another with the words of, one day this hole in the ground is going to be opened. And the dead in Christ are going to rise. And I don't know if it's visible. I don't know if they're going to leave a mark where they come out. But it's going to be glorious. It's going to be powerful. It's going to magnify Jesus Christ in a way that we want to anticipate here with this text of Scripture. This is a powerful process. It all magnifies God's power and God's design and it helps us to glorify our Savior who bought these earthly bodies with a price. We want to think about the afterlife and how we use these bodies and what we do with them when they, when they die. Verses 45 to 49, and we're done. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, and the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. I could preach a whole message on this, several messages on verse 45 alone. The first Adam became a living being, became as passive. Adam didn't decide he was going to live, and he made himself alive. Go back to Genesis 2, and you see what? God formed man of the dust of the ground, breathed into his life, in, in, in the breath of life, and man became a living soul. God designed Adam, 
God decided when Adam would live, and God breathed in him, and he became a living being. Now, is it part of Adam and to reproduce? Yes. He and Eve had sons, daughters, and they married, had sons and daughters, and we are a result of reproduction. Living beings produce other living beings. Who produce, this is God's design in nature, right? But because of sin, we also can't decide when we will live spiritually. We're powerless to decide that, hey, I, you know what? I just want to be part of God's family. I'm going to join God's family today. No, God has to choose you. You have to submit, right, and repent of your sin and trust Christ. But God sent Jesus as, in verse 45, he is the last Adam. He became not just a living being susceptible to death, perishing, and um, weakness. Jesus Christ did not perish. He, his body was sown temporarily, but it was not, it did not suffer decay. Jesus is alive without a natural body, with a spiritual body. And because he is alive with a spiritual, powerful, glorious body, the last Adam became a life-giving spirit, a living being compared to life-giving spirit. We get physical life from Adam, but that's only temporary, and our bodies get weak and we, and we die. With Christ, he gives us eternal life. And we will never die. No one plucks us out of God's hand. No one takes us out of God's family because we are in Christ. And Jesus chooses us. He is the life-giving spirit. So if you have a seed, inside of that seed is life. Even though the outside of the seed falls off the tree, an acorn or so, something like that, or you get it outside of an ap- inside of an apple, That seed looks like it doesn't have life, and it could even shrivel up a little bit and get hard. But when you put that seed in the ground, the life that's inside of it comes to life. And when we are dead in trespasses and sins, God makes us alive. Who makes us alive? Jesus quickens us. He makes us alive. He puts life inside of us so that when these earthly bodies die, We're putting them in the ground, and when you put a seed in the ground, you don't expect immediately something to pop up. There's a a period of time. And we put these bodies in the ground. Why? Because we're expecting after a period of time, life's going to come from that very spot. Now, you can die at sea, and they might throw you over, and the fishes eat you, and your remains are are gone, but in the moment, all of your body's going to come back together. You can plant an apple tree above your body. Your body can be consumed with ap- by apples by a lot of other people. And at a moment, all of your body is going to come together. You can do cremation, and your body is out in the atmosphere floating as smoke, and the rest of it's put in the, in the ground. And in a moment, God's going to bring all of those particles. It's not hard for God. We do believe in a resurrection. And God is not limited because of his design. His design is going to magnify Jesus. And we want to see God's power. We want to use these bodies. These bodies 
have been given life by the last Adam, by Christ, our representative, who doesn't plunge us into sin. He makes us a way out of sin. Verse 46, it is not the spiritual that is first, though, but the natural, and then the spiritual. We have natural life first. No one gets saved before they are alive. Okay, We have natural life first, and then we have spiritual life second. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. The virgin birth here is important because if Christ has an earthly father, he is part of a sinful line, a line of dust. He doesn't have an earthly father because his father is from heaven. That, that blows our minds. <laughs> That's not the point of this passage. But it helps us to think. The first man was from earth, a man of dust, and the second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so are those who are from dust. And as is the man of heaven. So from dust we came, we go back to dust. But the man of heaven, Christ, so are also those who are of heaven. And what does Ephesians 2 tell us? That our home is in heaven. The moment that Jesus puts life in us, this earth is not our home anymore. Although these earthly outer bodies go back into the grave, our soul goes immediately to heaven to live with God forever, awaiting the earthly bodies to catch up and they will be glorified then. And God will raise us up at the last day. He promised that throughout the Old Testament. He promised it to Daniel and the one of the last mentions of in Daniel 12, you can see that in the Old Testament. Go rest with your fathers and await the resurrection. And there is the anticipation in the Old Testament and clearly in the New that these bodies are, are of dust. But because we are alive with the man of heaven, that we will one day be in heaven with our Savior forever and ever. And he concludes this section with verse 49. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. We look like other people who are weak. We look like other people who are dishonorable. We look like other people who are perishable. And I don't care what supplements you take. I don't care what exercise you, routine you do. You're not living past 120. I think 120 is probably the record of old age right now. You can break that. That's fine. But you're probably not living to 130, 140. Yeah. Not you, not me. All that you do, you're like living for this life, living for this life. You know what? It's not about this life. While we have life, we're going to live for God, but we're anticipating the next life. And we don't want to just bear the image of people around us that look like men of dust. We are desperate to bear the image of the man of heaven. It's one thing for you to have a compliment that you remind me of your dad or your mom or your cousin or your sibling or whoever. It's a far greater glory for someone to say, you remind me of Jesus. That's what you want here. Now, these earthly bodies remind us of other people. But what the, the life inside of us, 
that Jesus has put there by His Spirit is changing us from glory to glory by the Spirit of God. And we find that out in 2 Corinthians. And why? So that we can show the world what Jesus is like. This is why we love our enemies. This is why, husbands, we love our wives and give ourselves for them. Because we're showing the world what, how Jesus loves his church. You see, this is a powerful reflection that we have that when we're dead on the inside, all these earthly bodies can do is remind us of dust and death and perishing and weakness and dishonor. But when we have life on the inside of us from our God, we can now do what God created Adam to do to be representing him to all creation, that whenever the creation talks to Adam and interacts with Adam, it's like they are talking with God. And Adam rebelled against God and became a man of dust. Jesus obeyed God. He is God. And he shows us how to reflect perfectly the image of our, of our God. So, Applying this. In Adam, our body is first natural, characterized by weakness and dishonor representing the earth. However, Christ is the life-giving spirit. He makes us alive and citizens of heaven, John 3 and Ephesians 2 tell us. Our earthly bodies are no longer primarily representing earth. We represent heaven and our Savior. So how do we think about the end of life then with this text of Scripture in mind? When Christ redeems us, he buys our bodies as well. So glorifying Christ with our bodies is our primary concern with life and death. Christians should consider. I don't see it's required. I would say you should consider. Why? Because you need to think about how to use your bodies to glorify Christ. You need to consider having your body at the end of life buried. I know I've heard of people saying, I want my body scattered because this is where I want, this is my house, or this is where we like to take vacation, your body's not yours to do with what you want as a Christian. Your body is a gift from God to be used to glorify God. And how you and I look at even the end of life, thinking about your funeral, pre-planning as much as you can ahead of time to think, how can I use, how can I picture how can I show my family and loved ones that I am different from the world? And this body, even though it's getting weaker, I'm anticipating a resurrection one day, and I want my family to gather around a burial place and say, we're putting dad in the ground. If you want to cremate because it's cheaper, I know cremation is from uh, other, other religions and try to annihilate the soul and try to get, that's probably not why you, as Christians want to be cremated. It's probably just cheaper, right? But Think about putting your body, even if it's cremated, you help the process of breaking your body down faster, okay? Still put your cremated remains in the ground. Why? Because of the picture here. Because your body is not yours. Your body was bought with Christ. Sow it in the ground. Sow it in the ground and tell a pastor or tell someone who's going to speak, hey, tell my family why I'm putting my body in the ground. Because... We're anticipating a resurrection. Just like, why do you plant seeds? Because you anticipate a harvest. And I don't know how many people, loved ones, who have rejected Christ, rejected Christ, whenever 
our body comes out of the ground, God may use that to help them come to him and submit to him. My relative was right. They trusted in a resurrection, and there's a hole where they used to be. Evidence of they're not here anymore. There's an empty tomb in Jerusalem. He's not there anymore either. Okay? We are to use these bodies as best we can to magnify Christ. So consider having your body buried, not scattered or sitting on a mantle, and the service open to the public. Anyone who wants to be there can be there. I know some people want a private. That's, that's fine. I would just consider having it because you want to testify with a burial of why we're burying Your body is a gift from God to be used to magnify Jesus. Your burial can be used to testify of the hope in the imperishable, powerful, glorious, spiritual resurrection awaiting your physical body because you are in Christ. A question then to consider in pre-planning your funeral is this. How can that time and my body be best used to glorify my Savior and King? I'll say that again. In pre-planning your funeral... I think I got it on the slide too. Since Jesus bought my body with his blood, how can I plan my funeral so that my body is best used to glorify my Savior? Come to your own conclusions, talk with your family, um, but think, think along those lines. Your body's not yours. And uh, plan uh, for the end of your weak, dishonorable, perishable life. Plan on your body to magnify Christ. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you for these bodies. We enjoy them. We enjoy rest. We enjoy laughter. We enjoy seeing people and things that you've created here on, on the, in the world. We enjoy each other. Uh, we enjoy food. And we enjoy rest. We enjoy so much that uh, you have designed for us to enjoy. I pray that you would help us to think carefully And we want to glorify you uh, with our bodies when they die. And I pray that this passage of Scripture would inform us uh, how to honor you, how to glorify you uh, with uh, our bodies after we die, and anticipating a wonderful resurrection when that trumpet sounds. I pray that we would encourage one another uh, with these words and live in hope, trusting and praising our last Adam who has given us life. And I pray that we would be used to help others to know him as well. In Christ's name we pray, amen.